Hello, hello. Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. I am your librarian, Katrina. If you are new here, welcome. This is where I am reading through the enormous library of books you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and I tell you what I think about them. So if you like books and just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, let me know what you think in the comments. This week's book of the week joined my library a few years ago on recommendation of my friend Joanna Sahira, and I bought it and put it on my shelf and then promptly forgot about it because that's what one does when one hoards books. Until last month, when I read Ion Hersey Ali's book, Prey, Immigration, Islam, and the Erosion of Women's Rights, and in that book she mentions author Mona Eltahawe. So I looked Eltahawe up on Amazon because that is what one does when one hoards books and realized I already had her book, Headscarves and Hymens, Why the Middle East Needs a Sexual Revolution. And the accompanying cocktail will be the Hyman Ripper, appropriately enough, which consists of a half ounce raspberry vodka, a half ounce of triple sec, a half ounce of melon liqueur, and a half ounce coconut rum. So let's do this. I am not at all sure what I was expecting when I picked this book, or what I, when I started this book, but what I got were essentially a series of feminist essays. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, I'm not a screaming fourth wave feminist, but I certainly can appreciate some of the horrors of what happens to women. I'm a woman, believe it or not. I'm not the most feminine of women, but I am a woman. This one is going to be kind of different because I'm going to kind of break it down into what I liked about the book and what I didn't like. And understand, please understand, like, like is entirely relative. I did not like the information she was reporting on. I liked the way in which she did it. I liked the uh, passion and the clarity of voice with which she expressed herself. The information being presented is a veritable shit show of shitty humanity, which I most decidedly did not like. So here we go. She starts by expressing why they hate us, they being the men of the Middle East. And I'm honestly not sure that she actually answered the question in here, but she does provide a multitude of examples that make it very clear that the extremely conservative branches of Islam that run the various Middle Eastern states, uh, state meaning country, formal usage of the word states, so that means a country, uh, unequivocally despise women. I, I mean, they just do, and they use every means at their disposal, usually a bastardization of the Quran, to express that contempt and keep women in the Middle East in a perpetually subservient and second-class role. Everything from preventing women from driving because it upsets their ovaries. <laughs> I was like, well, well now. <laughs> it upsets their ovaries and so they can't drive. Never heard that one before to kind of this rigid enforcement of headscarves, although interestingly enough, the rigid enforcement of headscarves is less men enforcing it and more women enforcing it on each other. And she points out, and, and she, she says it in her book, but she was quoting somebody else. Unfortunately, I don't remember who she was quoting. When women fight, men win, all right? So when the women are busy sniping at each other over, you know, who's pure, who's wearing the headscarf and who's not, the men are, are winning that argument. Assault so many stories of assault uh everything from uh groping every um lewd comments rude stares to actual physical rape and she includes her own story of being assaulted in mecca the uh, mecca for those of you who have been living under a rock for the last couple of you know decades is the heart of islam that is where they, that, that is their holiest city. That is where they go to, to pray to Allah. And while she was there with her family, her mother, her father, she was 15 years old, her brothers and sisters, 
praying in Mecca. She was groped <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> I don't know why, because this is apparently what certain, I don't want to say this is what Islam is because she doesn't say that. And I'm not going to put words into her mouth. In fact, she, she's pretty cautious to point out repeatedly that no, no, this is not Islam. This is not what Islam is. And she, she provides different interpretations of what Islam is. And I understand it. I understand that, that she wants to make that distinction between good people who worship Allah and bad people who are corrupting the Quran for their own benefits. And, and I get it because there's a lot of that that goes on with Christianity too, right? There, there are good people, good Christians who want to help their fellow man. And then there are those who corrupt the Bible for their own gain. And it happens pretty much with any organized religion. It's not just Islam and, and Christianity that does that. Any organized religion is going to have those power hungry people who corrupt and use that corruption for their own benefit. I have to shake this. I really like the copper shaker. It gets really blessedly cold. Oh my, that's uh, I almost would have expected a, a red color, but the raspberry liqueur was not red. It was, you know, the raspberry vodka was, you know, clear because it's vodka and the melon liqueur adds the green. So here we go. The descriptions are brutal and heartbreaking. She describes how women have no rights to their children in Islamic marriages under Sharia law. Again, trying to keep this separate. Okay, and for those of you wondering why I would keep it separate, I mean, it's not just because the author did, but because I understand her frustration with people lumping together entire groups of people and saying they're bad because of X. They're bad because they're Islamic. They're bad because they're white men. Not a whole lot of difference between those two statements, right? It's very dangerous to paint the world with broad brush strokes. People are individuals. They're going to react individually. Soapbox, let me get off of it here. Return to the story. Women under Sharia Islamic marriage, they have no rights to their children. All right, the children belong to the men. The women are relegated to um, wet nurses, basically. They give birth, they're wet nurses. And she explains how one five-year-old girl after being taken by her father was essentially raped to death by that father because he was convinced she was impure. Five-year-old child. <laughs> that's a lot of sugar. Ooh, that's a sweet one. The melon and the coconut are really prevalent flavors in here. Not tasting much of the triple sec or the raspberry. The melon is really, really strong here. Uh, she talks about how virginity belongs to your father until you are married and then it belongs to your husband. And before anybody gets on their high horse here and thinks that that's something that could only happen in the Middle East, what about purity pledges here in the United States? Where women take a pledge and swear that they'll remain virgins until they're married. And they pledge that to their fathers. Now, one could argue there's the element of consent because the woman here is saying, yes, I'm agreeing to this, but if they're children, are they really capable of offering that consent? Isn't that the point of statutory rape laws? So I get it, all right? I mean, her, her voice, her, her message is very strong here, right? While she is primarily focusing on problems within Sharia law and, and the, the, the Salafist, which is a, a really strict section of Islamic worship, there are some strong similarities and parallels between fundamentalism here in the United States. So don't get too far up on your high horse, guys. She discusses how women walking down the street in any number of Middle Eastern countries can result in assaults repeatedly. 
and how the assaults go unreported. Why would they not report? I mean, here in the United States, you, you can report and women do report and more and more things are swinging our way, right? I, I mean, I know that some women like to, or, or some women have been and report being harassed, you know, walking down the street. The reason it doesn't happen with the prevalence it does here, does in the Middle East is because if, we, if you're walking down, uh, say, a, a construction zone, right, you're walking outside and the construction workers start yelling harassments at you. You can go to the company, report that this happened, and those guys will probably be fired. There are actually consequences to that sort of disgusting behavior here in the United States. If you can pinpoint where the assault came from, there are no consequences in the Middle East. Men have carte blanche to do whatever they want. And so women don't report because, well, feminists in America like to scream about victim blaming. In the Middle East, they don't just blame the victim, they, they kill her, all right? Literally, sometimes they just kill her because family honor. And she discusses the ongoing prevalence of female genital mutilation and all the horror that that entails. She says something in the chapter that I had not been aware of, which is that female genital mutilation was practiced in America until the 1960s had no idea. I looked it up. Um, mostly I wanted to look at the website she cited, which was like uh, the history of circumcision.com, I think, but I couldn't find, while the website was there, I couldn't find what specifically she was looking at there. So I just did a general Google search and, and came up with Wikipedia, which is not the wild west it used to be. I mean, there are still aspects of that, but this particular website page for, for female genital mutilation was pretty solidly sourced. And apparently here it was, it was a form of treatment for nymphomania and other mental health diseases for women. The only difference was timing in treatment. In America, they waited until there was a problem. In the Middle East, they do it to prevent problems. I mean, hell, in America it was covered by insurance until like 1977, according to Wikipedia. All of which is horrifying. But while it is wholly outlawed here in the United States, carrying a penalty of up to five years in prison, and that's including if you take a child out of the country to go someplace to have it performed, they find out about it, they're going to chuck your ass in jail for five years. But it continues unabated under the control of Islamist Salafists and Sharia law, which allow for this and encourage it to keep the women pure. So those are some of the things that I learned that I liked. Um, again, not that I like the information, it's horrifying and sobering to read about, but it was well represented, it was well presented. Again, the voice is very strong and her outrage just screams from the pages. What were some of the things that I think could use improvement or could have been done differently or maybe better? Okay, so some of the things I didn't necessarily care for, but I understand the necessity of including are things like the above information on female genital mutilation. And it's important to include that perspective that it, that it can and has happened here in the United States because there's a real tendency to think, well, that could never happen in my country. That could only happen in countries where Islamic extremists exist, that that sort of backward thinking takes place. And that belief is especially prevalent among ultra-right-wing conservatives uh, here in the United States where they are already prone to thinking the worst about Islam anyways with no quarter given for some of the beauty that I'm, I'm sure is found in Islam because most religions do include beauty to some level. Uh, I mean, hell, most of those I know kind of who slant heavy, heavy to the right, not just slightly right of center, but the, the you know, better red than dead uh, voting block would be just as happy to basically nuke the Middle East until it's nothing more than an obsidian parking lot populated by shadow people. And so I do understand the need to provide some perspective of how those practices have existed even in the more enlightened West. 
but she cuts far too much slack to her political allies, even at one point accusing the right of cultural relativism, which I have not seen pretty much ever. The, the right, now the, the people in the center can be prone to it, especially if they're college educated, because postmodernism is the bane of the of intellectualism like seriously the two do not mix if you're a postmodernist you are not an intellectual like by default you're an idiot but the right is not particularly well known for saying well that's how they do things in their country but it's not for us it's not for us to say we shouldn't be judging them that's not really a right-wing extremist perspective they're all about judgment the screaming right is more known for saying we should not be letting Islamic immigrants in because we don't want Sharia law over here, which, I mean, to be fair, I don't think they're wrong on. I mean, based on this book, I want Sharia law exterminated with extreme prejudice. The people I know who lean toward cultural relativism are the postmodernists, those bastions of the intellectual elites who are quite sure they know what is best for everyone ever. And I remember seeing one Instagram post from a fairly well-known belly dancer who gleefully described how she schooled an ignorant student in her class about the beauties of headscarves and hijab and how we shouldn't be judging cultures in the Middle East because they live differently from us. I feel like she should probably read this book before tooting her own horn. Because I sure as hell am judging, and harshly, based on the information in this book. So the thing that I disliked was lack of citations. And, and I get it, alright, I do. Uh, for some of this information, there are no citations. It's anecdotal based off of conversations, always very personal and private conversations with women who have been victimized and traumatized by a society and world that has been designed to beat them down and keep them submissive. Not a whole lot of citations for that. I get that. But Mona El-Tahawi will say things like, according to you know the World Health Organization, for example, but not include anything resembling which report she pulled it from or a link there's no bibliography. So unless I'm like actively sitting in front of my computer or want to stop the flow of the reading to put the book down and look it up on my phone, I, I have to basically I have to reread the book to find what she referenced or just let it go and assume that the information is there. Okay, I, I'm willing to assume the information is there, but a bibliography, a works cited page would be really nice to be able to go back and, and read more on this myself. I find that as I read more nonfiction, I have greater appreciation for well-cited sources. And, and it's a well-written book, but it is not cited at all. There is no work cited, there's no bibliography, there's no reference page, there's nothing to say, this is where I'm pulling my information from when there are like facts that she's stating, not just anecdotal from, and I'm not trying to downcry anecdotal evidence because anecdotes, stories, that's that's how humanity pulls together. Our lives, lives stories of shared experiences. And those anecdotes, again, very personal. You're not going to find a works-cited page for women who have been raped and brutalized. It just, facts and statistics are one thing that you can expect works-cited on, but shared trauma, it's not gonna, you're just, there's there's no book on that. This is the closest book I found to a book on shared trauma. And it's, it's pretty horrifying. And I disliked how there's literally nothing I can do to help. Uh, which she basically says in the book. Not meanly, but she's not wrong. I, I mean, I can root for and cheer on women in the Middle East from my safe suburban middle neighborhood in middle class America. But I'm not Middle Eastern. I'm not Muslim. I, I mean, hell, I'm so white, I'm practically an albino. I'm not even Christian. 
I have literally no dog in this fight beyond being a woman and thinking that it's awful what's going on over there. I can't even petition my Congress critters to help out over there because our Congress critters don't give a shit. They don't give a shit about the plight of women in the Middle East. They care about the bottom line. And if the regime in power over there will prop up their own failing policies, that's what they care about. That's far more important to Congress than whether or not those regimes are systematically brutalizing their own people. They don't care about it. I mean, I can't say that I liked this book. It was a good book. It was excellently written. Her voice screams rage from every page. It was certainly sobering and provided much food for thought. I do think that women here in America who think they are oppressed should definitely give this a read to get an idea for what that word truly means. All right. Very few women in America are genuinely oppressed, especially not compared to this. And I'm not looking to go into the oppression Olympics. I get that that's a big thing. All right. I have one card to play in the oppression Olympics, and that's the fact that I'm a woman. And frankly, the fact that I'm a blonde woman kind of negates that card because I got the Maryland thing going on or something. I like to think it's my winning personality, but maybe it's the boobs. I don't know. Women should give this a read to get an idea of what true oppression is. And uh, belly dancers, the, the larger belly dance community should definitely read this. There is a whole host of them who deep dive into the Orientalist belief that Islam contains only beauty and peace. And quite simply, that's not true. I'm sure there is beauty and peace, but you wouldn't know it from this book because this book just contains rage and, and uh, outrage at everything going on and how women are treated in the Middle East. I should find a book on what beauty there is in Islam to kind of balance it out and get a balanced perspective here because between this one and Prey, I'm finding that, that it seriously, there's not a whole lot there that's good. And I know that can't be true because millions of people do follow it and quite well. I know in Prey, she, she was talking about a mosque in Germany that, that's run by a woman and it's very centrist and holds to Islamic faith without being dogged about it. And the woman who runs it has been under a death threat for years by Salafists. So maybe I should find a book on her. Anyways, that's it for this week. Thank you for watching. Let me know what you think in the comments and I will see you guys next week. Bye.